Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 1, verse 29. We're going to look at verses 29 through 34 as we continue in our series, Mark the Show Me Gospel. And why is it called that? Well, because... Mark emphasizes the works of Jesus more than the words of Jesus. You've got that memorized by now, don't you? And in last week's passage, Jesus was ministering to the north in the region of Galilee on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee in a fishing town known as Capernaum. And on the Sabbath day in that town of Capernaum, um, they met together in the synagogue there during a Jewish worship service. And it was in that setting, in Capernaum, in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, during a worship service, that Jesus showed his authority. Jesus showed his authority, and he did so in two specific ways in last week's text. First, he he did it by his teaching, by his teaching. As it says in verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And literally, Jesus' teaching blew their minds, the Greek says. Why? Because he was the author of the very scriptures that he was teaching. And so he taught with authority. The fountain of life proclaimed the words of life, and leaving the crowds utterly astonished. They'd never heard anything like it before. Second, Jesus showed his authority last week by his cleansing by his cleansing. You see, when, when Jesus preached the word of God in the synagogue, it rattled some cages. And specifically, it provoked a demonized man who then went on to confront Jesus. But then we read in verse 25 that Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Setting the demonized man free, Jesus showing his authority in the spiritual realm. And so in that synagogue of Capernaum, Jesus showed his authority by his teaching and by his cleansing. And so what we see here, I hope you're putting the pieces together, is that very systematically in this show me gospel, Mark is supporting his thesis statement from verse 1, which was that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Mark continues to show it by Jesus showing his authority. And this continues in our text today, and we're going to change the tense here from Jesus showed to today Jesus shows in our text In the present today, he does so by his healing, by his healing. So would you please stand with me as I read today's text? It's not very long. We're only going to camp out in 29 through 34, where it says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Would you all bow your heads with me as we pray? 
Father, give us a fresh vision today of who Jesus is. And God, if there are some misconceptions or some old and tired stereotypes that have limited our vision of who Jesus is, God, would you remove that rubble? And God, may Jesus be real and present and powerful in our lives this very moment. We thank you for your word. It is faithful. It is true. It is a solid foundation upon which to build our lives. And so would you open our hearts, our ears, and our minds to exactly what you want to say to us in this minute. And God, how I pray for your help. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we have here in this passage today the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And it has three main elements. I'll start with the letter A, so already we're off to a good start, right? We've got to have alliteration in a sermon. So we have affliction, we've got action, and we've got alleviation. Affliction, action, and alleviation. Let's take a look at the first of these, which is affliction. In verse 29, it says, And immediately he, meaning Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So, worship service is over. What comes next after we go to church on Sunday morning? Right? It's, uh, it's Bob Evans time, right? <laughs> Some of you, it's Hunan. And others of you, it's here. I know where you go. You think I don't know. I, I know where you go. It's, it's time for lunch. And synagogue worship um, typically lasted between three to four hours on the Sabbath. So for those of you who think our services are a little bit long, just that's tired. Just stop it. And um, so after a full morning of teaching with authority and cleansing with authority, it's, it's, it's natural. Jesus and his humanness and his human disciples, they're hungry. But rather than head to a restaurant, where do they go? They head to Simon and Andrew's house. Now in this next picture, this is interesting. We keep kind of dealing with some archaeology stuff here. But this is the ruins of an old church in Capernaum. Now why is this important? Well, because of what they found under the church ruins. You see, when they kept digging, they found also the ruins of a simple house dating back to the first century which could have likely been the home of Simon and Andrew, which was also the home base of Jesus when he was ministering in Capernaum. And so likely what happened was Simon's house became a house church. It became the gathering place for the early church there. And as the church grew, the house expanded until it expanded to the point of their building on it, it kept getting bigger and bigger. And so Jesus, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they're all headed to Simon and Andrew's house where they would hope to partake of the main Sabbath meal, which was at noon. But there's a problem, right, as we found in our text. Uh, we read in the second half of verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Now the first thing that this verse tells us is that Simon, who we later know as Peter, um, is married. He's got a wife. How do we know? Well, because he's got a mother-in-law, and those two things go together, don't they? Surgery. Hi, Joanne. Anyway, shout out to my mother-in-law, Joanne, who is healing up from hip replacement surgery. Hi, Joanne. And uh, the Apostle Paul affirms Peter's marital status when Paul was writing later in 1 Corinthians 9.5. He says, 
Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Again, Cephas is a reference to Simon Peter. And check this out. I can't confirm this for absolute certainty because it's not in the scriptures, but church tradition even says that Peter and his wife had at least one child. So interesting food for thought. Well, the text tells us that Simon's mother-in-law is sick, and she must be very, very, very sick. How do I know? Well, for one, she's a woman, and women are far tougher than men when it comes to illness. Am I right? So for her to be in bed with a fever tells us just how sick she really was. If, uh, if I'm in bed with a fever, it's probably just a little cold, okay? But for her, um, she must have been very, very sick. The second reason we know this is because there are guests in her home, and in that culture, which placed a very high value on hospitality, this woman would have done all she could to be up and about providing for her guests. But she can't because she is so seriously ill. She's, she's burning up with a fever. And the Greek word here, used here for fever is the same word used for fire, which tells us even more about the severity of her illness. The woman's very sick, burning up with a fever. And here's where we need to ask a really important question, an honest question for us, church, which is, why is there sickness? Why is there sickness? And I know for many of you, this is a very personal question. Uh, Some of you are battling disease even as we speak, whether that's cancer or, or something else. And for many of you, you yourself have suffered greatly in this life with various kinds of brokenness or disease. Or perhaps it's been a loved one that you've had to helplessly watch suffer with sickness or disease or excruciating pain, perhaps even unto death. And it causes to say, why, Lord? Why? Why is there sickness? I think there are at least three primary reasons. They're not easy. They're difficult for us to swallow, but I think this is the reality that we live in. And the first is this. There is sickness because of fallen creation. There is sickness because of fallen creation. Romans 5.12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, Because all sinned. This is the overarching reason that we struggle with suffering and pain and sickness and disease. For you see, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all of creation became infected, became cursed, became broken. What once was characterized by that Hebrew word shalom or peace, which refers to Everything being in right relationship now is characterized by conflict and pain. From that first sin on, all of creation has been dying. And a part of this terrible reality of death is sickness, disease, pain, and suffering. And so this really is the foundational reason for all sickness, all pain, all suffering that we encounter. It's connected with Sin and can I just say this? You know, sometimes we um, we flirt with sin, we compromise with sin, we take certain forms of sin lightly. May we be reminded of the magnitude and the significance and the consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death. There's no such thing as a little sin or a insignificant sin. Sin 
is devastating and it is tragic and it is the reason that we live in a fallen creation of suffering. So that's the foundational reason, which is the fallen creation. But number two, sin is also at times a direct, sickness is a direct consequence of our sin. It is a sin consequence. Now, this could be of natural origin. For example, if you abuse your body, if you do not take care of your temple, you eat wrong, you don't exercise well, you don't sleep right, or if you poison your body with drugs or alcohol or other things, um, you're going to get sick. This is a natural consequence of the sin of abusing your body, sickness. And, and church, can I do, it, love, you know I love you, right? I love you, but let me say in love, this is a sin that we got to take more seriously. And we have to not cherry pick and pick and choose which sins are really serious sins and which sins aren't. There's an epidemic, I believe, in the church of Jesus Christ today where we abuse our bodies. It is sin, and we got to call it out for what it is. However, sickness can also be a supernatural consequence for our sin. For example, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. The Apostle Paul is addressing abuses in the Corinthian church in regard to the Lord's Supper. And listen to what he says. This is interesting. And she says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Why were people sick and dying? As a supernatural consequence of their abuse of the Lord's Supper. Uh, another example, one in the Old Testament this time, Numbers chapter 12, verse 9. Aaron and Miriam were undermining the authority of Moses. And then it says in Numbers 12, 9, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Why was she sick? It was a supernatural consequence for her sin. Now, all of us are under the curse of the fallen creation. That is the ultimate reason for all sickness. There will be times, however, when individually, personally, we deal with sickness as a sin consequence. Not every time, not all of our sicknesses are directly tied to personal sin, but the scriptures tell us and they show us that, you know what, sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's true, both natural and supernatural sin consequence. And number three, why is there sickness um, at times? Because of demonic attack. Listen to Luke 13, 11. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Why was she bent over and disabled? Because of a demon. Because of a demon. Reminding us that the, sickness, the causes of sickness include the fallen creation, sin consequence, and demonic attack. Now, that's discouraging. I understand. That's heavy. But that being said, even in this fallen, sin-cursed world that we live in, God in his sovereignty is even able to redeem our sickness and our suffering and to use it for good. Do you believe that? I know for some of you who have been through sickness and suffering, that was some of the richest time 
in your walk with Jesus Christ. He was real and present in a way that was different than any other time in your life. Or he grew you. Or he, he, there, God doesn't waste anything. And so it says in Romans 8, 28, and we know, we know, we got to remind it of this, we know that for those who love God, and I know you do, all things work together for good. Say all things. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, God's definition of good is higher than our definition of good, undoubtedly. But I trust God's perspective and God's definition of good better than my definition of good. It doesn't make it easier. Life is hard. Suffering is hard. But we have this promise to hold on to that God doesn't waste anything. Some of you are familiar with the story of uh, the woman on the screen here. Who is that? Johnny Erickson Tata. Now, I know those of you who are a little bit younger, you probably never heard of her before, but um, she was a really well-known person with a far-reaching ministry. She became a quadriplegic at the age of 17, but God has used her and worked through her brokenness to reach tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people around the globe Uh, reminding us again that God doesn't waste the pain and suffering of his children. He even can leverage it and use it for something that's far beyond. I'm I'm sure, um, as I've read Johnny Erickson, that if you were to ask her, this has been hard. This has been hard. But you know what? God has used her and used her suffering and used her situation. I I promised on Facebook, I I teased it a little bit, I would tell the story behind this. Really cool story. One of the most profound, I think, divine appointments in my life in terms of seeing God work and move. Christy and I were reading a book that she and her husband had written about marriage. Reading the book together, it just so happens that our anniversary happened while we were reading this book. And we're like, hey, what are we going to do for our anniversary? Where do we want to go? Couldn't come to any conclusion, and so we said, hey, they mention a restaurant in this book, her headquarters and home or down the road from where we were in Ojai, California, and said, hey, let's, we don't know where else to go. Let's go to that restaurant. Let's check out what that's all about. So we go to the restaurant. We're having our anniversary meal, and sure enough, here she comes with her husband, Ken. They sit down right next to us at a table, and me being me, I have to get up and go over and say, hey, just so you know, um, the reason that we're here right now at this restaurant, we're reading your book, and it talked about this restaurant. That's the only reason that we're here. Well, we sit down, we have this conversation, and just have a wonderful time of fellowship together, and then they buy our meal, which I thought was pretty cool, and um, just have this. But I think the coolest part of the story for me was a year later, in my mailbox was a card saying happy anniversary, and and just um, reminiscing about that divine appointment that we had together, that the only reason that we were there, we're reading the book here, it was was pretty, pretty cool. So, but anyway, I share that with you just to say that, you know what, God is even able in his goodness and his power and his sovereignty to leverage the hard things that we go through for good. Well, here we have, back to our story, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. We have affliction. We now have action, the second A in verse 30. Look with me at the second half of verse 30. It says, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they did what? They told him about her. Who's they? They told him. They is Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and who's him? Him is Jesus. These four men, they took action by bringing the need of this woman to the attention of Jesus The word for this is intercession. 
It is intercession, which is defined as the action of intervening on behalf of another. Intercession is the action of intervening on behalf of another. We are instructed to do this through prayer in 1 Timothy 2.1. We're instructed to be intercessors where it says, first of all, and I love that Paul says that. It's like, first of all, this is, this is primary. This is what matters. This is at the top of the list. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So again, intercessions are prayers which intervene on behalf of others. And so this is one of God's primary means of acting through the world. You know, again, I've told you this before. If I were God, I'd do it differently. I'd be more direct in just showing up and doing stuff. But God's way is to do it through us. And through our prayers, our prayers matter in God doing what he's going to do. They are the primary means of him acting in the world. That's why our prayers are so important. And so that is why an event like, I'm going to plug it again, our prayer summit next Sunday night are so very important. It is in a setting like a prayer summit and prayer meeting when we as a congregation come together and practice intercession where we intervene on behalf of others. Now, this isn't the only place. I trust on a daily basis we make intercession for others, but there is something significant about the church coming together and practicing intercession and ministering to one another in prayer. And a part of that intercession is that biblical mandate from James chapter 5 to anoint with oil to anoint with oil. Now that might seem kind of freaky to some of you. Let me assure you there's nothing magical about the oil itself. It's just oil. But that oil is a symbol, much as baptism was a symbol. The oil is a symbol of our faith and of God's presence and of his power to act. Remember we talked about the importance of being visual. Here's a visual to help us, just like the Lord's Supper is visual. And when those elements come together of our faith and God's presence and God's power and our intercession, mighty things happen. Mighty things happen. So, again, back to our text and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. We've got two A's so far, affliction and action. Simon, Andrew, James, and John intervened on behalf of Simon's mother-in-law, interceding on her behalf, bringing her need to Jesus. The third element is alleviation. Alleviation. Look at verse 31. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. I love how understated this is. It's like, whoop, it's gone. And she began to serve them. Jesus alleviated her suffering. Any consumers of uh, Aleve? <laughs> yeah, there's a few of you out there. You know what that word leave actually means? Now, this is going to get interesting, so hang with me for a minute, and we might even have a healthy dispute. Wouldn't that be fun this morning? Uh, that word alleviate means to relieve or lessen, to make something such as pain or suffering more bearable, to partially remove or correct something undesirable. Now, my question for you, and this is where it gets interesting, is this an accurate way to describe the healing of Jesus? How many of you say yes? How many of you say no? Oh, see, it's on. It's on. When I first, you know, I, I had my, I, uh, the word uh, alleviate came into my mind. I thought, oh, cool, I've got my three A's. And then I read the definition of alleviate, and I thought, oh, snap. 
um, I'm going to have to change my third A because this doesn't sound right. It, it, it doesn't sound right to say that Jesus partially removes or corrects something undesirable. This seems to shortchange the healing ministry of Jesus. But then after some reflection, I decided, no, this is three A's, actually abundantly accurate. How do you like that? Now, why would I say that? Well, because church, if we're honest, every healing today is temporary. Every healing today is temporary, and therefore it is partial. For example, one of the greatest healings Jesus ever performed was raising Lazarus from the dead. Anybody want to argue with me on that one? Good. Okay. And that miraculous act of healing, oh, how it alleviated much pain and suffering that day in the town of Bethany. It, it certainly did. But only temporarily, right? Only partially. Because the fact of the matter is that the minute that Lazarus was raised from the dead, guess what? He was once again dying. And the man who Jesus raised from the dead years later was dead again. Such is our plight on this sin-cursed earth in this season of the kingdom of God being already but not yet. Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom. He showed up and he brought the kingdom, but it has not been fully consummated yet. We are waiting and longing for the return of Jesus when no longer will healing be an alleviation of pain. It will not be partial or temporary because make no mistake, the day is coming and soon when every healing will be permanent. Aren't you glad for that? The day is coming and soon when every healing will be permanent. As it says in Romans 21 verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What we learn from these verses is that the healing ministry of Jesus today, and there is a very real healing ministry of Jesus today, is a foretaste and a guarantee of the permanent healing to come. The healing ministry of Jesus today is a foretaste and a guarantee of the permanent healing to come. When he heals today, and he does, he shows his love and compassion, and it also shows his authority over sickness and disease. But the, the hard reality, the hard truth is this. Until he returns to earth and heals once and for all, we will still groan with all of creation. Just as it says in Romans 8.22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Um, I love that song. Um, many artists have done it. I think my, my favorite version of it is Andrew Peterson, Is He Worthy? And it's kind of that um, you know, responsive kind of thing. Like, do we, do we know the world is broken? And we respond with, we do. We do. 
And so we say, Maranatha, as we concluded our study in Revelation. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are desperate for your return when there be no more suffering, no more crying, and no more pain. Well, the healing ministry of Jesus that day extended far beyond Simon's mother-in-law, for it says in verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. That's interesting. Um, I think it's because Jesus didn't want that kind of testimony, right? And it's like, yeah, I don't need demons speaking up for me. Um, you guys be quiet. I don't want to hear it. So on that day in Capernaum, Jesus demonstrated his authority by healing both physically, spiritually. People were delivered from both illness and demonization, showing both the love of God as well as the power of God. Jesus indeed showed himself, as Mark's thesis is, to be the Christ, the Son of God. Well, so we've seen in the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, the affliction, the action, the alleviation. Let's now turn our attention to application and how should we then live. Three things for you this morning. Number one, take Jesus with you. Seems self-evident. Take Jesus with you. But this, the, the key to this whole passage was that Simon didn't leave Jesus in the synagogue. What did he do? Took Jesus home with him. He took Jesus home with him. And because Simon took Jesus home with him, Jesus' things happened in his home. Do you want Jesus' things to happen in your home? Do you want Jesus' things to happen in your work? In your school? I need more Jesus' things happening in my life. And you guys have been paying attention to Asbury, right? I don't have much to say because I'm not there. But I see Jesus' things happening. And the first key to experience more Jesus' things is to not leave Jesus at church. And I think we do that way too much. We show up, we do our time, our hour and 15 minutes before we head to Bob Evans, and then we get on with our lives, but we leave Jesus at church. We must take Jesus with us, being intentional about recognizing his presence in our homes, our schools, and our work, having the sense of expectation that he's at work and he's on the move and he is powerful. Wherever we go, we must take Jesus with us. And when we do, we have set the stage for Jesus' things to happen. Take Jesus with you. Number two, take your friends to Jesus. Take your friends to Jesus. The way that Simon, Andrew, James, and John took the need of Simon's mother-in-law to Jesus, that's the intercession that we talked about earlier. Intercession being the action of intervening, intervening on behalf of another. And the first place that we are to intervene is in prayer. Some of you all have friends. They don't want you to take them to Jesus, right? They can't stop you from praying, though, can they? I truly believe that the God who has called us to intercession is ready, willing, and able to answer in miraculous ways more than we imagine. More than we imagine. He's ready to do his part. The question is, will we do our part? So, take Jesus with you. Take your friends to Jesus. Number three, take the long view. Take the long view. Um, I don't know about you, we, we can get so focused on the moment and what we're going through and the circumstances, and it just gets so overwhelming, and we feel like this, this moment is just too much, and it's, it's, so, it's so heavy and so over... The long view 
acknowledges, as we've said earlier, that healing today is temporary, but the healing to come is eternal. And the importance of this is that it will give us a proper perspective of both healing and suffering. For as the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.17, here it is. Here's what I mean. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Who wrote this? The Apostle Paul. Um, What do we know about his life? When he says, these light and momentary afflictions, it kind of makes you chuckle, doesn't it? That dude didn't have many light and momentary afflictions, all right? He was beaten and, uh, beaten and left for dead. He was stoned. He, he, he was going through the most intense of persecution, and yet he says, in the midst of even all this persecution and pain, when we take the long view of eternity and the glory that is to come, even the most severe of pain that we're going through, it will ultimately seem like light and momentary affliction. I hope one day we will get to hang out in heaven together and compare notes. And again, I know some of you have been through absolutely hellacious suffering here on this earth. You've witnessed others, your loved ones, go through absolute terrible pain and suffering. But my my Bible is true. And one day we will be able to sit together in heaven in eternity and we'll be able to say, you know what? That was really nothing which may sound trite for me to say right now, but this is looking back from the perspective of eternity and the glory that it says is to come. Nothing, it is nothing. The suffering, no matter how intense right now, will be nothing compared to the glory that will last forever. And so, church, we need that perspective as we face suffering on this earth because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, until I return, you are going to have pain and suffering. But take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And what this does is it causes us to rightfully be homesick. We get far too comfortable here. and We try to make this world our home. This world is not our home. May we encourage each other and help each other to take the long view the long view of eternity and the glory to come and say, you know what? These light and momentary afflictions, they're preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So how should we then live? Take Jesus with you. Take your friends to Jesus and take the long view. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, thank you for this day of worship. We thank you for... Song sung to, sung to your glory. We thank you for baptisms. We thank you for the opportunity to, to feed on your word. God, I pray especially for those this morning that are suffering, especially for those who are in pain, whether that pain is physical, it's emotional, it's relational. God, pain is all around us. It is such an ever-present reality. But God, we thank you that you are greater than our pain. And God, we do cry out to you. We intercede for those in the midst of their pain. We pray, God, for healing. 
God, I pray that as we gather next Sunday night, perhaps you would even show up in such a way that there would be healing that takes place even instantaneously in that moment. We do not presume what you will do, but God, we cry out to you in faith and say we need you and know that when we do so, you show up and you honor that. So God, for those who are struggling to take the long view this morning because the short view is is so intense, God, wrap your loving arms around them right now, I pray. And God, make us powerful intercessors, mighty warriors in the spiritual realm as we take others to Jesus. May we see the fruits of those prayers bear, bear much, much harvest. And God, we just acknowledge our desperate need for you this morning. May we take Jesus with us. We long to see more Jesus things in our lives. May it start even in this moment as we take you with us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.